the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. And as we do every Monday, except for last Monday because of the holiday for Memorial Day, we check in with Brandon J. Weikert. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report. He is an author and columnist for Asia Times, American Greatness, Washington Times. He is the author of uh, now two books, uh, the second one available just a little bit later this year, but available for pre-order on Amazon and Barnes & Noble right now, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Couldn't be more timely. His current book, previous book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. He's always ahead of the curve, always ahead of the curve, which is why I always say about Brandon, if you want to know what's going to be happening four to six months from now, listen to Brandon today. Brandon, welcome back. How are you, sir? (laughs) Thank you so much. As always, I I appreciate it. Uh, As George Carlin once said, I'm ahead of my time. Unfortunately, it's only about, about half an hour, but I'm still ahead. (laughs) all right all right took me (laughs) took me a moment brandon took me a moment all right um i do want to yes you taught us you taught us i do want to uh talk to you about the themes of the shadow war but before we do that uh, i want to talk a little bit saudi arabia i want to talk iran i want to talk this white house before we do that Let's talk a little bit about Russia. We haven't done that in a while. Um, The big news today, I guess, I mean, you're in you're 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 on the east. I'm I'm out on the west. The the way I read the big news today is there seems to be a lot of celebration over the death of another Russian general in the conflict. Uh, Reports have been anywhere from 12 to 15 generals have been lost uh, 15 generals of the Russian uh, military have been lost in this conflict. Um, I don't know if you believe that. If that is believable, that seems like a high number. I don't think we lost more than one in any of our most recent conflicts, um, yeah. including 20 years in Afghanistan. I don't think so. Yeah. Or Iraq at all, I don't think. Uh, maybe Vietnam, right. did we? I don't uh, – maybe one or two in Vietnam. I, 12 in, in six months is a lot, it seems to me. Anyway, is that story real? Is it important? And what is your other sense of what the goings well, on are there? It is real, I believe. Uh, the Russians, um, they're, they're structured, their military structured a little bit differently. Their generals are fighting closer to the front lines, and in some cases the front lines are constantly moving in ways that um, one would not expect a major nuclear power like Russia to allow those fronts to move. Um, at the same time, you know, these generals are dropping like flies, and yet the war is not anywhere near to being over. And yeah. so I don't really understand what our side, the Ukrainian and American and NATO side, gets uh, out of all of this. Um, you know, another one bites the dust, meet the, uh, but it's, it's uh, you know, meet the uh, new boss, same as the old boss, mm-hmm. because the Russians keep grinding on. And so ultimately, uh, obviously, a general is not as important to them. 
as he is to, as he is to us. Ah. Um, and so that that sort of it just becomes sort of a pointless you know claim. Who cares at this point? Because the goal should be conflict termination that preserves as much of Ukraine's sovereignty as possible uh, without risking nuclear war with Russia. Uh, and unfortunately, the Biden administration seems to be speeding happily uh, or possibly, you know, possibly blissfully ignorantly uh, toward nuclear war with Russia uh, as we continue to give weapons to Ukraine, notably these long-range missiles that understandably Ukraine's forces want. Uh, but Russia has said explicitly if these missiles are used by Ukraine to launch deep into Russian territory, the, that the Kremlin will view that as a direct attack by NATO on Russian sovereign territory, and therefore they will respond with nuclear weapons against directly NATO. Uh, and they may even just completely, you know, uh, irradiate Ukraine for good measure. Now, we in the West, we hear that and we chuckle. Oh, ha, ha, that's, uh, you know, more Russian bluster. I don't think it is bluster. Um, and so I'll be the first to say that we need to stand with Ukraine. We need to give them what they need to to preserve the free part of Ukraine. That's Western and Central and uh, part of Southern to ensure they have access to the Black Sea. Uh, but we should not be giving them the weapons that Russia is saying we will nuke you if you give those weapons, if those weapons are used on us. And we know the Ukrainians who are fighting for their lives. Uh, will be tempted to use those systems, particularly as the war progresses in the east uh, part of Ukraine, which is the part that Russia has a lot of advantages in. It's a part that they've held for about eight years now, um, and the Ukrainians are having trouble pushing the Russians out, and the Russians have already said, we're not going anywhere. You may kick us out of central Ukraine, and they did. You may even kick us out of southern Ukraine, but we are not giving up. Luhansk and Donetsk, the, uh, the breakaway provinces, the Russian-speaking enclaves in eastern Ukraine. So it behooves Washington to stop, you know, championing the, the death of these Russian generals, which, good for us, yay, we got them. Uh, and it would, it, would, it would behoove us, though, to start figuring out how do we end this thing quickly that protects as much of Ukraine's sovereignty as possible without risking a nuclear war. And I don't see that from the purported adults in the room uh, in Washington. Uh, Brandon, if we are to avoid, I gather, the worst case scenario anyone could imagine would be uh, the unleashing of a nuclear weapon, tactical uh, or strategic for that matter. But obviously, uh, we're, we're thinking it would be tactical. That would be the worst case. What is the best case that's realistic? Is it that this is going to just kind of lumber along for a while, some wins here, some losses there, eastern Ukraine maybe being taken uh, by Russia uh, in some kind of uh, Korjan sanitaire uh, or mm. occupation? Uh, what is the best case scenario? It's not going to be resolved in the next week, obviously. I'm guessing it won't be listening to you in the next six months either. Well, it could be resolved tomorrow if, uh, you know, the Biden administration would use American power to force both parties to basically come to uh, uh, the negotiating table uh, and uh, meet each other midway. But we're not using our considerable leverage as the world superpower to do that. Instead, we're happily dancing on the edge of nuclear conflict. Uh, with Ukraine, and I mean, with uh, with Russia over Ukraine, and again, 
I have for months, as you know, said we of course we have to stand with Ukraine and give them the tools they need to preserve their sovereignty. But now we need to come to the to the very real conclusion that restoring the situation to what it was before the Russians illegally invaded Ukraine uh, February 24th of this year is the best path forward. What that means is we basically split the country up. The Russians get the eastern Russian-speaking portion that they've held for almost a decade. Uh, we keep parts of southern Ukraine open uh, to Ukraine so that they have access to the Black Sea as they are entitled to. Central and western Ukraine remain free. Uh, and we basically, that's, we freeze the conflict there. And we spend the next however many years rehabilitating and enhancing Ukraine's ability to defend and deter another Russian invasion, while at the same time ensuring that Poland and those Eastern European former Soviet states that are now NATO members, and Finland and Sweden as well if they become NATO members, we ensure that those countries become the nucleus of resistance to any protracted or greater attempt by Russia to go deeper into Europe. Right now what we're doing is we're trying, we convinced ourselves, that we can beat Russia in a conventional war with Russia just basically taking it and that, that they won't ever risk nuking us. Uh, and they'll just, you know, they'll just have to deal with it. I'm telling you right now, um, Putin has nothing left to lose. He has staked his entire regime on some semblance of success in Ukraine. So now is the time where we actually need to start pivoting and talking some kind of peace settlement. Uh, both sides are going to have to eat a little bit of crow here. But ultimately, the alternative is, Putin starts popping off these nukes, and guess what? You and I are on the hook for it yeah. because the Ukrainians, you know, they're 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 done for at that point, and then it becomes a wider world war, and then we're you know we're in that territory uh, where nobody wants to be, which is we're talking about nuclear exchanges with the Russians, which is the worst parts of the Cold War played out in our lives. Yes, right, um, Brandon. I've got to run to a quick break. Yeah. Uh, let me come back. Let's talk about the president in Saudi Arabia. Let's talk about Iran and the world. Is that good enough for sure. you? Uh, <laughs> you were built for this. You were made for this. <laughs> we are talking to Brandon J. Weikert. He is the author of The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. You can follow him at We the Brandon on Twitter. We will be right back. As we go to break, let me put in a word for our friends at Y Refi. If you're looking for a great investment opportunity, check out my friends at Y Refi. They're offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a collateralized and secure portfolio. Y Refi is a due diligence-approved firm, and they are doing very well by helping others. You can be, too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest. The letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 855-316-3087. Local company. You can go visit with them. They won't give you a sales pitch. They'll just talk about what they're doing, which is great, and let it speak for itself. Investyrefy.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I was just listening to that Balance of Nature ad. I love Balance of Nature. I've told you that they are a good company uh, that makes a great product. Why do I say they're a good company? Uh, we talked about it a little bit, but they're teaming up with ultramarathoner Tom Jones, who's running 76 marathons in 76 days to teach, help teach American history. And uh, they are pledging a match up to $5.5 million in donations at Balance of Nature. They view the import of American history uh, and teaching it the same way 
uh, that I do. They also make a great product. I'm in a run with Tom Jones when part of his leg when he runs through Phoenix. I'm not going to do a marathon with him, <laughs> but I'm going to run with him a portion of it. And I, like he, will be fueled by balance of nature. You too can be fueled by the pure, potent plant power of balance of nature. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use discount code BALANCE. Brandon J. Weicker is our guest. His book coming out in October, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Uh, pre-order it today, either through Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Brandon, uh, prescient uh, that book will be. Uh, it's funny. The, you, you must have observe, observed this over your, the course of your career as well. We kind of go through ebbs and flows of concern about the Middle East or concern about the Near East. Um, and it's not as if anything really changes very much there, except possibly in Saudi Arabia. The stuff I'm reading uh, has shown uh, trends towards more and more liberalization. Uh, and yet it's odd what side Joe Biden decided to plight <laughs> his troth to when it came to the dispute yeah. between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Now he finds by dint of his own uh, misfeasance in public policy, he needs Saudi Arabia. Talk to yeah. us about all that, would you? Yeah. So basically, uh, Biden entered into office with a couple of assumptions about the Middle East, uh, all of which were wrong, which is typical of his entire career, um, as foreign policy goes. Uh, he, he entered into office and, and he basically said anything Trump did, you know, orange man bad. Anything he did uh, that may have been right, I'm just going to do the opposite because he's horrible and, and I can't stand him and all, and all that. So he came in and Trump had spent most of his administration rightly enhancing uh, America's linkages with the Sunni Arab states, notably Saudi Arabia, as well as Israel, and trying to bring the Sunni Arabs, notably uh, Saudi Arabia, and Israel together in an alliance known as the Abraham Accords, which was to be the nucleus or the foundation of uh, kind of a Middle East uh, NATO, uh, not quite like NATO, but similar, uh, and it was designed to basically contain and constrain Iran's expansion and to force them to basically abandon their, and this is coupled with the maximum pressure campaign, uh, to, to get Iran's regime to abandon their pursuit of nuclear weapons, their support of terrorism, and basically their overarching imperial goal of becoming the dominant power in the Middle East. Um, and that was working, by the way. The Council on Foreign Relations ran a, a piece uh, in January of 2021 in which they did a breakdown and found that despite what Biden was saying on the campaign trail in 2020, Trump's maximum pressure campaign and the Abraham Accords were having their intended effect. But Trump Trump was bad, according to Biden. So Biden immediately hit out about hitting, uh, trying to distance America from Saudi Arabia, distance America from the Sunni Arabs, distance America from Israel. And for the last year and a half to two years, that is precisely what Biden has done. At the same time, he has tried to restore the ill-advised Obama-era nuclear agreement, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, JCPOA, uh, that which would have basically given Iran a legal pathway to nuclear weapons by as early as 2025. And that is the agreement that Biden is dead set on re returning to. As it turns out, though, Biden is learning the hard way that in the Middle East, we're going to continue to be engaged there as long as they are an energy-producing region. 
Uh, and therefore, we need to have a strategy. And there, there's, there's terrorism also that we have to deal with. Whether we're getting oil and natural gas from there or not, we're going to have to contend with jihadi terror networks. So we're going to have to have friends on the ground there. Uh, we can't rely too much on Iran. So we have to turn to Saudi Arabia and the Israelis. So he has no choice now, after you know looking really bad for the last two years, to turn and be try to be Mr. Nice Guy. Um, he has a this, this uh, advisor, Brett McGurk, uh, who uh, has been really the only kind of lone voice in that wilderness. Uh, he has been saying, you've got to play nice with the Saudis. The problem with McGurk, is finally he's being listened to, and he's right on this issue. The problem with McGurk is that he's fully on board with Biden's other great plan, quote-unquote great, uh, which is to restore the JCPOA, the nuclear agreement. Um, so, you know, Biden is now having to kind of pivot and play nice with Saudi Arabia because he's got to have some friends on the ground, and the Iranians can't be trusted, and he's trying to get the old friends back online, and they're, they're, they're going to basically make him beg. And it's really embarrassing to see an American president on his knees begging our old friends who we've done so much for uh, in Saudi Arabia and even Israel to an extent, uh, you know, begging them to come back and be nice to us um, because he spent the last two years of his presidency pushing those parties away. And understandably, those parties are a little uh, suspicious now of his sudden turn. And we better, we better get this right because Iran, that's the one to watch. I know everybody's fixated on Russia. I know we're very concerned about China. But remember Al Pacino in Godfather 3. Every time I think I'm out, they keep sucking me back in. And that's exactly what the Middle East is getting ready to do to us. We think we're out of there. We think we got out with Afghanistan and Iraq. Let me tell you something. Iran's got another thing uh, that they're planning for us, and it's going to be bad, and it's going to pull us in if we don't show strength now. Brandon, um, one of the talking points of the defenders of the administration is headlines such as Iran being so close to uh, nuclear capability. They're about to uh, uh, show a significant quantity of enriched uranium, CNN is reporting. One of the the defenses of the Biden administration is that this is all because of Trump's failure and putting Iran out in the cold. Yes, that's my that's my assessment, too. I wonder if I can take let me let me let me let me take this commercial break that we have coming up, if that's cool with you and have you address that, because it is it is going to be probably a major talking point in the campaigns. Uh, Six months from now. Yeah. Yeah, that's my guess, too. You see it the way I do. We'll pick it up when we come back as uh, we go to break. Uh, Let me put in a good word for our friends at the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. It's the only precious metal dealer I use. Traditionally, gold and precious metals keep their investment value when things like the stock market are losing theirs. If your retirement is wrapped up in the stock market, you may want to talk to the folks at Midas Gold Group to see what you can do to help secure your retirement. Midas Gold Group, I own gold and silver from them. You can too if it makes sense for you, and they'll let you know. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com or give them a call at 480-360-3000. I know these guys too. It's funny. They really are good guys. They're on your side. That's why they're sponsors of this show and our ability to communicate. MidasGoldGroup.com. It's the only dealer I trust. I'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. The great Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Uh, sometimes people say, how does he spell his name? W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at we the Brandon. All right, Brandon. So the talking points out of the uh, 1600 Pennsylvania crowd, out of the Biden uh, crowd, is that uh, Iran's uh, nexus to enriched uranium is the result of Donald Trump putting them out yeah. in the cold. This is nonsense from my assessment. You're the expert. You tell me. Well, I'm in the minority opinion among the D.C. crowd. For, you know, I, I, I believe that that is a bunch of malarkey. As President Biden once said when he was vice president, I think that, in fact, um, the Trump, you couple what he was doing with the sanctions, how it was you know, Iran, by 20, January of 2021, I mentioned that Council on Foreign Relations uh, uh, article, which is no friend of President Trump, by right. the way, that group. Right. Um, that, the article that I met, I, I'm referencing, they talked about how by January 2021, after two years almost of Trump's maximum pressure campaign with the sanctions, Iran had almost no reserves left. They were completely drained. Riots were happening every day. Then you threw in COVID-19, and Iran was just gutted yeah, by COVID-19. That's right. People forget how that, decimated Iran forget. was by COVID. That's and right. So so, yeah. so that the hollowing out of Iran with the maximum pressure campaign was designed to set Trump up for his second term at some point to get Iran's leaders to sit at a big, beautiful table with him and have an actual negotiation, not a series of concessions like Obama did and Biden wants to do, but to actually get them to say, hey, look, uh, you, we've done many years now of, of, of isolating you from the world economy, cutting you off from access to nuclear material, strangulating you because you won't drop your pursuit of nukes and your support of terrorism. Now you see how close to death your regime is. You better play nice or we're going we're gonna to push you over the edge like we did in the Soviet Union under Reagan. That was the plan for Trump in his second term. That's what he was going to do to them. And, of course, now it's the complete opposite. So people who say that, oh, no, the, the, the Iranian nuclear arsenal, it grew because Trump pulled out of the agreement. That is a bunch of malarkey. If anything, Iran never stopped building their nuclear weapons arsenal, regardless of what uh, Obama's JCPOA allowed them to do or did not allow them to do until 2025. And I would remind audiences, we know for a fact, the day that the JCPOA was finalized between Obama's team and uh, the, the, the then president of Iran, um, uh, Rouhani, uh, the Iranians started popping off long-range ballistic missiles uh, that were basically not supposed to be tested until before the year 2025 under that agreement. The Iranians never respected it. They didn't care. They kept building their, their you know, meticulously building out their capability, uh, and they were going to get nukes probably at some point no matter what. It's a question of how weakened uh, would the rest of their country have been. Under Trump, we were not only slowing down their access to nukes, and nuclear material, but we were also gutting their regime of any economic capability, of any political stability, so that even if they did acquire some nuclear weapons, they wouldn't have been useful to the Iranians because their entire system would have been upended if they didn't actually negotiate properly with us, President Trump. Now President Biden's in charge. He's giving them all the money they need to survive. He's reconstituting the Iranian economy. He wants to reintegrate Iran into the world economic system, very similar to what Jimmy Carter ultimately did with China in 1979. And we know how that went. 
And so we're basically creating our own worst enemy in the Middle East and acting surprised when in another five to ten years we'll probably get pushed out of the region by that nuclearized, re-empowered Iran, thanks to the Democrats and Mr. Biden. You know, it's a funny thing from my time in Washington to now, and I wonder if it's changed or if it's just ideology, Brandon. Uh, When I lived in D.C., there was a pretty strong Saudi lobby. And um, and, uh, I I, I never saw much evidence of what you might call the Ayatollah lobby. Not when I was there. Has one kind of cropped up has or is it mostly ideology that's trying to appease Iran? Well, you do have these sort of cutout organizations, um, uh, you know. Now, we've seen that with jihadi networks, yeah. going back to the Holy Sure, Land sure, sure, sure. Uh, you can make the claim that organizations like CARE sometimes do that as well, where they sort of, whether wittingly or unwittingly, are serving the interests of sort of that Sunni Islamist. You don't necessarily, as far as I saw it working on the Hill, have a very potent Iran. Yeah, I haven't seen one. Okay. You have the what you mentioned was ideology. It's idi. I, I think this- it's idi. Let me let me take a quick break. I'll let you yep. say a word or two about that. Yeah. Then let's talk about a few other imports to this day, June sixth. Oh yeah. If we could, uh, when we come back, we'll have uh, we'll have a good conversation about all of that. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon J. Weikert, author of the Shadow War: Ron's Quest for Supremacy. Pre-order it now at your favorite online bookstore. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by the good folks at Y-Refi. Y-Refi is a great investment opportunity for those who are looking for such. They are offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a collateralized, secure portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and it's run by really good people. I know them very well. They're a local firm. You can visit them. Uh, They're not going to give you a sales pitch. They're just happy to talk about what they do and what they figured out, helping people do their best to dig, do their best to dig out of debt and do it the right way. Check them out for this great investment opportunity at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Uh, with a second book uh, out, uh, The Shadow War, this October. He's already hard at work on his third one. I know how that goes by the time (laughs) the interviews for The Shadow War come about, Brandon. You're going to have to be thinking back because you're already (laughs) predicting the next crisis in the ongoing work in progress, as we authors call these things. But congrats to you on all of that. Um, Well, thank you. You bet. June 6th, it's kind of an interesting day. I was just, I I had thought about it in my first hour during a break, aside from D-Day and the pregnancy and meaning of all that, uh, in 1967, it's the first full day, really, of the the Six-Day War, which uh, meant so much in the Middle East. Uh, Also, uh, the following year, it was the day, because of the Six-Day War anniversary, that Sirhan Sirhan assassinated Robert Kennedy. Uh, He assassinated Robert Kennedy, according to his diary, because of Robert Kennedy's support for Israel. 
And I believe I'm right when I say I can't think of an earlier example. I think it's the first case of Arab terrorism on American shores, on American soil. I'm pretty sure the Sirhan Sirhan assassination of RFK is that. Anyway, thoughts on any of the above, if you if you want. Uh, well, very quickly, both the assassinations of JFK, RFK, and Martin Luther King Jr. irrevocably damaged this country. Uh, everything that we've experienced on the domestic political front. Uh, since 1964, yep, uh, when, when JFK was killed, everything everything that we've experienced has been. Um, and James Pearson talks about this in his books. Uh, you know, he's a Claremont guy, um, and uh, everything has basically been sort of post traumatic stress syndrome as a, on a national level, uh, reacting to those three horrific uh, murders. Um, at the same time, the issue of uh, D-Day. You know, D-Day was. Uh, America is one of our finest hours in which we, you know, we liberated half of the world. And um, I don't think we get enough credit for it. It's something that I think uh, the left downplays uh, in teaching history. It happened, but, you know, it doesn't doesn't make up for America's inherent misogyny, homophobia, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this, people need to realize that World War II um, it was a crucible for this country. People, I remember talking to my grandparents about this who were around at the time. People didn't know if America was going to last, like if, if we were going to win, if we were, I mean, this is a real concern. So D-Day was a great triumph. And also don't forget, uh, we are two days past now, the anniversary of the Battle of Midway, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the four, according to most historians, one of the four major turning points in the Second World War. The others being the Battle of Il Alamein, the Battle of Stalingrad, uh, and uh, I'm forgetting what the third, Battle of the Coral Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so most historians believe those are the four big ones, if you're going to name any. Uh, Midway was decisive uh, basically because it, 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 it showed that America could fight back, A, and it showed that America had um, a, a better grasp on intelligence, signals intelligence, and being decisive in combat uh, than our Japanese rivals did. And we do not get into it here. But those two instances in World War II history, uh, I think, are defining moments in American history. I think they are displaying America at its finest. Uh, the assassination of... Mike, can I stop you right on that point, too, Brandon? Because it seems to me they were also hugely important moments for moral clarity in the United States. I was reading, you know, obviously FDR's D-Day prayer, and obviously the other big thing people read is Dwight Eisenhower's letter to the soldiers and seamen and airmen. Uh, They both use the word crusade. They both say... You use the word crucible. They said we're in a crusade. They were unflinching in talking about our Nazi enemy as unholy, ungodly, uh, engaged in racial arrogancies and the like. But they they had no embarrassment, shall we say, uh, no hesitation in seeing things for what they were. Ever since then, it's been downhill, I have to tell you. That's right. Uh, You're right. And Seth, you should listen. Your audience should listen. It's a couple minutes long on YouTube. You can get it. Truman's speech after he dropped the bomb yes, on Hiroshima. Right, right. I, he, I, he opens up right. by blaming the Japanese, right. saying they brought this up. Right. What American would do? Remember after 9-11, George W. Bush he had to apologize. Hawk, yeah, he had he to apologize. Said, Why do they yeah. hate us? Right. You think Harry Truman thought that? Truman said, I'm going to drop a couple nukes on these guys, and they better stop. I'm Bush, gonna Bush specifically apologized for using the word yes. crusade in a speech. Specifically That's apologized right. for using Eisenhower's and, uh, and, and Roosevelt's word. Yeah. 
Like I said, since, since 1964, yeah. the Kennedy assassination, this country has never been right. And, it, and I'm very worried about the future. I am, too. That Pearson thesis is a tremendous series of thoughts. It really is. It really I is. I, I would encourage people, James Pearson, P-I-E-R-S-O-N, I think is mm-hmm. how he spells yeah. it. Um, it really is because America, but mostly the, as I recall the thesis, not only America, but particularly the American left was yes. kind of gobsmacked and didn't know what to yes. do when they found out what the animus against Kennedy yes. was. In this and, case, it was communist Kennedy's and then family, RFK yeah. being Arab terrorist. Yes. They just didn't know and how Kennedy's to handle it. Family, right. Kennedy's family also shifted the cause of death, right. which officially was a communist you know, right. terrorist. Right, right. Uh, Jackie shifted it to he was killed because of civil rights, his support. Right-wing elements rights. in Texas, right? Right, right. And so, you know, I, I, Pearson was, I, I, you know, we can debate what, who, what, why Kennedy was killed and who killed him, uh, and there's plenty to debate about that. But the bottom line is the cultural ramifications, particularly for the American left, set them on a path toward anti-Americanism that I think the first generation of American Democrats would never have been comfortable with right. and never supported. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 about the best sociological or cultural explanation Absolutely. for how the left changed, or maybe we should say the Democratic Party changed yes. so damn much. You know, people say, you know, the Kennedy Democrats, the Roosevelt Democrats, the Truman Democrats wouldn't understand this party. It's because of That's the years 63 to 69. It yes. really is. It really is. That's exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. Well, but I remember in 1960, real quickly, in yep. 1960, Nixon and JFK hated each other because they were competing. And let's face it, the Kennedy family probably stole that election for JFK. Sure. But, but had Nixon won, with the exception probably of involvement in Vietnam, I don't think Nixon would have maintained involvement in Vietnam at all. Right. With that little exception at the time, yep. there would have been very little difference, I think, between a Nixon or a Kennedy presidency because both parties were so close. When it came to oh, that's an interesting thesis, and I'm going to keep you one more segment because okay. <laughs> because on, on that because let me postulate this for the break, and you come back and tell me right or wrong. When Kennedy met with Khrushchev, Khrushchev and Kennedy both admitted privately that Khrushchev kicked Kennedy's. You know what? Yeah. I don't know if that would have been said of Nixon, but let's not, come back no, on that not. point. Let's yeah. come back on that because shortly after that Kennedy Khrushchev summit, you know the wheels came off from the Berlin Wall to Cuba. We'll be right back. Brandon J. Weikert has been our guest. He's so generous with his brain and time. He joins us with uh, both every Monday. His new book, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy. You can pre-order it at your favorite bookstore online. Brandon, that was an interesting point you made about the trajectory of foreign policy uh, from the 1960 election. History doesn't reveal its alternatives. It's one of my favorite quotes from A.J.P. Taylor. But we do know uh, that JFK thought he botched his uh, summit with Khrushchev. Uh, yeah. Khrushchev thought Kennedy botched it. Uh, the yeah. Berlin Wall came up about a month afterwards. Yes. And then, of course, the following year well, was the missile crisis. Yeah. What One wonders if Nixon would have been so vulnerable. Nixon would not have. But what I was talking about was disposition-wise. Like uh-huh. they, uh-huh. they both were anti-communist. Yeah. They both did ultimately want to stand up to – remember, Kennedy created special forces, basically. That's Modern right. Special forces yeah. was created. That's right. Kennedy wanted to take – remember, Kennedy ran against – Missile gap. Uh, uh, 
That's right. That's how he ran. He ran as what uh, Derek Lambert derisively referred to as one of Washington's emergency men. Right. Uh, but but that Kennedy was remember RFK Kennedy's beloved brother worked for McCarthy. That's right. So what I meant by that was the disposition. There was not much daylight between the two Fair parties. Enough. Whereas yeah. after 1964 and beyond, yeah. they might as well have been on two different planets. You're where, right. You know the, the the Democrats wanted to basically become buddies with the Soviets and work alongside them, yeah. uh, whereas the Republicans were desperately trying to figure out how to defeat them. Uh, and that's what I was referring to. It's, it's a very good been... point. It's a very good point. Uh, people need to understand, uh, at least the younger people, uh, those of us who studied this and maybe anyone over the age of 60 would know, that the Democratic Party of Roosevelt, Truman, and Kennedy was – arguably, uh, you know, at least in those three people, as anti-communist as right. uh, as the Republican Party. Uh, right. Yes, McCarthy was ours and antagonism towards him was theirs. But when it came to presidential qualifications and leadership, they were as anti-communist as us. All of them were. Yeah. And, and uh, real quickly, remember, Nixon and, and Kennedy were actually friends in Congress together. And in fact, um, at one point, I forget why I read this, but at one point, JFK actually donated a few thousand dollars to one of Nixon's reelection. Oh, I did not know that. I did yes, not. Yes, and so they, they were until 1960, of course, because, you know, they, they yeah. what happened. Right. But before that, they were actually, that was part of the reason why Nixon was so hurt, because he thought that they were, like, good friends. Yeah. Um, but, but they, you know, the two men had a lot of similarities when it came to foreign policy. Maybe not in the application. Yeah. I think Nixon would have been more responsible, but certainly in the outlook on communism. Yeah, he, certainly he in the rhetoric good. of it. Yeah, certainly. certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Brandon Weikert, what a treat. What a treasure. Good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Until next week. Yes, sir. God bless. We'll be right back. I'll be giving my monologue, and then Abe Hamaday will be joining us as well. Don't go away. We will be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.